Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hey everyone. When Jimmy and I started this little podcast, promoting inclusion and diversity were at the forefront of what we wanted to do with it. Though throughout the month of June, Celebrate Pride, all of my interviews are focused on queer creators and their projects. I'm also super excited to be able to tell you about our unique t-shirt Pride Month collaboration as part of our June programming. The first piece was finding the right artist, so I enlisted the help of our friend Fellhound. Let's let her tell you a little bit more about it. Hey everyone, this is Fellhound. My design this year for Comic Book Yeti involves a little Yeti on their little Yeti-mobile, spreading the joy of pride and spreading the joy of comic books. When Byron reached out about the artwork for the collaboration, we decided it was really important to focus on the trans community for this project. Nobody is more at risk right now than trans youth, so it's no-brainer to work with Kaleidoscope on it. Please consider picking up a shirt, or you can support their work directly. Thank you. As Phil mentioned, we are working with Columbus, Ohio-based Kaleidoscope Youth Center. All profits from the campaign go directly into their coffer. Board member Brent Fisher is a friend of the Yetis, and I reached out to them to tell you a little bit more about who Kaleidoscope is and what they do. Hello, everyone. My name is Brent Fisher, and I'm on the board of Kaleidoscope Youth Center in Columbus, Ohio. At Kaleidoscope, we're deeply committed to advocating for and empowering queer and questioning youth in Ohio. We're proud to provide a safe and inclusive space where young people can freely express themselves, access vital resources, and participate in educational programs. Our mission is more than just support. It's about fostering a vibrant, resilient community that celebrates the individuality and the potential of every young person that comes through our doors. And we're super excited to be a part of this Pride collaboration with Comic Book Yeti. This collaboration allows us to reach out to more people and spread the message of love, acceptance, and unity that we need now more than ever. Together, we aim to create a society where everyone is free to be their authentic selves. And if you want to learn more about who we are and what we do, please visit our website at www.kycohio.org. And thank you for supporting Kaleidoscope Youth Center. Help us support their amazing work. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can snag a t-shirt for yourself. I hope you enjoyed our Pride Month feature. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I'm Byron O'Neill, and I'll be your host for today's episode. We're continuing our Pride Month coverage here on the podcast, and I am delighted to welcome Eisner and GLAAD-nominated writer Tate Rumble to the show today. Last time, he was chatting with Jimmy about Behold Behemoth, but today we are going to be focusing on his new ongoing series from Dark Horse Comics, The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, which is quite the title. We'll get into that in a minute, but Tate, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's it's good to be back on the podcast. I love it here. <laughs> yeah, well, you're always welcome with us. I read the advanced copy of issue one and, and really enjoyed it. To me, cool. It, it feels like a kind of a modern examination of universal monsters with a teenage queer kind of slice of life overlay. Um, and mm-hmm. it started out last year, if I'm understanding correctly, on um, James Tynan's Empire of the, the Tiny Onion Substack with a Pride yeah. Month release, and here we are a year later, again in June, with the first issue yeah. dropping with Dark Horse. You know, now, excitingly, is an ongoing series I read mm-hmm. recently, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. It's cool how um, it started. I've been working on it, oh man, for a while. I think like two some like since I started two summers ago, um, when James first contacted me um, and started working on it 
Yeah, it must have been like August 2021, uh, back then. And then we worked on it slowly, and then it released um, on Substack um, every few months. And then now just seeing it land at Dark Horse and grow even more, like it's officially an ongoing series. So it's very cool, um, especially that it's going to be on stands because we've been working on it for so long. And like now I can finally just like hold it in my hand. Um, so that, it's really exciting. Um, and Dark Horse is a great home. Obviously, they um, published my first uh, comic. Uh, so I am happy to be with them. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's all very cool and still very surreal. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. Yeah. So this was a kind of a, a nugget from James and you were kind of able to, to run with it and develop it. You know, this isn't yeah. your first time with this kind of collaboration um, with yeah. James, you know, working on House of Slaughter and developing, you know, Barb Alien, Red Planet in the Red or the Black Hammer universe. So kind mm-hmm. of what was the, the inception point here and what what does your collaboration kind of look like? Uh, with James, um, it's honestly, we've developed such a friendship now that it's really easy. Um, and we'll honestly, like, we'll have shower thoughts, like ideas will come and we'll just like get out of the shower and like text it to them and be like, wait, we need this. The book's missing this. We're like, what if the character does this? What if the book ends in this big way? Um, so it's really collaborative. Um, and on this book specifically, James basically gave me a pitch doc of like a synopsis of what the book, what his story idea was. Cause he's had okay. this idea for years. Um, and I think he's even tried to land it at other publishers at points and it just wasn't working out. It wasn't right. That wasn't the right time. Or maybe publishers didn't want to jump on it for whatever reason. Um, and the title is actually a title he's had in his back pocket since, I think he said, um, since his like writing school, um, since he was in college. Wow. So he always had this idea of a book called, or a story called The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. Um, he didn't know exactly what it was. And now like flash forward all these years and it's now this book, which is really cool. Um, yeah, so he sent me a synopsis of what the book, of what the story was in his head. And it had the main characters, um, or some of them. Um, it had like nuggets of ideas. It had like the overarching villains of the piece. Uh, so like, there's all these pieces, but he gave me it and said, like, go run wild, do what you want to do with this. Like you can change things, um, just whatever inspires you, like follow, follow those paths. Um, and I went away for a month, did a bunch of reading, watched a bunch of movies, um, a bunch of research and developed like a Bible document based off okay. of his synopsis, um, built, fleshed out the world, fleshed out the characters, came up with more characters, more villains. Um, and then we came back together and I pitched him on. Um, like an outline of what the series and story could be, especially for the first arc. Okay. Well, I've only yeah. seen the first issue at this point yeah. and the, <laughs> the, the prologue with Adam Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, it, it's public. Um, there, there's a werewolf in it too. So we're not giving anything particularly big away there. Although let's, we won't go into particulars, but um, yeah. that that's kind of where I was kind of getting this universe, universal monsters sort of thing. Um, there's a mysterious group of monster hunters as well. And I noticed in the yeah. Twitter post about Dracula boy in issue two. Um, yeah. so are we riffing off of kind of classic universal monsters here? You know, what were some of the inspirations behind these characters and kind of how are we modernizing like these old archetypes? Yeah. Well, from the start, from the original kernel, um, of the idea James had, um, it was this idea that there's a world exi- that exists where all of those um classic stories all those classic books like mary shelley's frankenstein ram stoker's dracula those were real stories that actually happened and the books were never supposed to get out to the public 
Like the public okay. was not supposed to know these monsters existed. Um, and then um, we'll come to learn that since these stories weren't supposed to get out, um, certain orders in the world cracked down on monster kind and started got the public to believe they were fiction, um, found ways to keep uh, monsters relegated to the shadows. Uh, so that was always part of the book. So um, we kind of dove, dove in and started fleshing out a world where these stories could be real. Like Frankenstein's monster is a real character in the world. Like what would he look like 200 years later? Um, our vampires are real. Like how would they exist in this world? Um, so we kind of brought that modern reinterpretation, but also how the pedestrian world um, or like the rest of the humanity um, how they would react in the face of monsters or finding out that these stories were real all along. Um, so that was kind of where that all came from and how we, the perspective on it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, there's a lot more to see, especially I know you said, even from the first issue, I feel like we show a lot, but there's like, that's really just like a small <laughs> chapter, like a small portion, a glimpse of like what, how much we've actually built into this world, which is really cool. Yeah. And we have kind of, Christopher is our, our principal character. Um, mm -hmm. He's a bit of an outsider. He's in his head a lot. I mean, lots of us were as teenagers. So um, yeah. I saw where there's a lot of you in the character in, in, in a recent interview. So who is Christopher and in what ways did you want to kind of use your own life experience and infuse them into that? Yeah, well, I was um, Christopher. Christopher spends a lot of time in his head. He's an outsider, doesn't he's not outspoken. He kind of has he kind of feels safer in the shadows just because from a lifetime of bullying or knowing that he's different or feeling different. Um, he's just kind of reserved himself. Um and it's and it's and it's very and it's sad and it's tragic. Um and you know he's like this brilliant kid who deserves to be like as loud and out there as any other kid. Um so like I Took a lot of that from like my own experience in high school, just feeling like similar ways. Like I know so many kids kind of struggle as that outsider who maybe um, has to hide entire portions of their life to kind of because um, they don't fit into the status quo or like, like growing up like gay and everything. So I really took a lot of that and applied it to how Christopher was feeling. I also was very much a kid that existed more in my own head, like a dream escape walking around like um eyes wide open but like far off in my own world um and this idea christopher like a lot of the time has conversations with himself in his head or right. thinks he's having or he plays through conversations with others but then they didn't actually happen so like, i i do that a lot so kind of pull that into the character um but obviously so much of it is just pushed to like a much further degree than ever i ever faced um but i do think What's important is like having just like a truth somewhere in there that you're drawing from. Um, so yeah, I did that. And I really wanted to make like just a new an updated, but also a new version of what like the mad scientist trope can look like. Um, Cause I know the typical one is like, he's already like kind of evil um, and lost his mind. While this version is like a softer version who kind of, like he could be that version, but he would rather just live in his own world and not hurt anyone because he's kind of afraid of um, the bullies or like just hurting anybody else more than he's already hurt people. Um, and then he has like his mother, who's a figure in his life, who also just wants to protect her son. So it was like, just be normal. Like just try to keep it in so that you, so that, because she is coming from like a good place, but it is also 
confining him and kind of wounding him in ways too. Okay. Well, not, not the therapy couch, but tangentially related. What would you go back and tell your younger self if you had the chance to do so? (laughs) Um, I would honestly, like a lot of that stuff that I went through or like kind of um, sheltered myself or reserved myself kind of got me through a lot of hard times. So it's not that like, I don't know if I could tell him to act any differently. Um, it's more like the world around him that would need to change um, and be more accepting and just more open to my younger self. Um, but yeah, just, or, but I would probably just say hang in there. <laughs> it's always good advice. Just just yeah. make it another day. You'll, you'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's an optimism here in the potential of Christopher's powers. He's even running around for, with with what appear to be rose-colored glasses, for God's sakes. So, <laughs> you know, I mentioned this kind of this life of life aspect to the book. I'm curious about the kind of the overall balance moving forward. Um, there, you know, there's a bit of I'm associating my head with like kind of like Riverdale-ish sort of thing. You know, right. is this is this YA? You know, where are we going? You know, it's been hinted at a, a bigger, wider world of New Briar City. So I didn't know if yeah. we're going to kind of stay with Christopher and it just kind of builds or you know how's this all looking yeah each um issue moving forward will introduce a new character and we'll see more of their world um so we'll leave christopher a bit just like this first issue really focused on christopher Mm -hmm. um we'll be introducing more of his supporting cast and then we'll see what their kind of world what their pocket of the world looks like um or of new briar city and um it's definitely I know James has talked a lot about how he wants to write books um, for high schoolers who know they shouldn't be reading this book, like with a lot of gore and like the, okay, the, the, sure. the violence and the swearing. And it's like the one you hide from your parents, like you don't want them to, to see it. Um, so I took inspiration from that. So in that way, it does have that like older YA feel to it. Yeah. Um, but we're still not, we're not going to be holding back from that, like the violence um, or the gore or the horror. Um, when I think it's necessary or, or does something interesting. Um, so that's, I think that's where that comes from. Well, I mean, bless you for that. First of all, I mean, like I, I have a teenager and I get really annoyed when I'm, I'm like reading YA stuff and it feels like it's written for somebody that's five to eight years younger than they yeah. actually are. <laughs> that's really um, middle that, grade. Yeah. It drives me nuts. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. Ki- kids are sophisticated now and they have a very different palette than, than, than we did growing up. Right. Um, yeah, they're exposed yeah. to more. Yeah, sorry. I I definitely like want it to feel uh, more real for them and grounded, and not not and not try to be like soapboxy or talk down to them. I I really want to draw from like experiences I had, and I think a lot of kids still deal with, um, and show it in a way that they can actually connect with, um, and kind of see themselves in different ways, which I think is important. Sure. Well, my dad was a high school math teacher. Um, he kind of taught me to see math as a, a language in and of itself. It radically shaped my views on the, the structure of the world to be able to examine the structure behind everything, which led to this, this lifelong kind of interest in, in chaos theory. You know, to quote possibly the most famous, famous movie chaotician, you know, Dr. Ian Malcolm, which we all know, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it, which kind of encapsulates Christopher in a nutshell to me because you have a teen who's learning about his incredible powers on the fly which okay which is nothing new in comics but his his powers are visually abstracted through mathematical formulas and equations so what was alluring about like kind of laying out in in that way i haven't quite seen that before um 
half of it is that I am not a mathematician. So okay. I am like, let's keep this as abstracted as possible so that we can kind of fill in the blanks ourselves. Okay. Um, but it was also like his powers, he doesn't understand them and he probably, he was, he's not going to understand them for a while, fully what they are, but that doesn't mean he can't use them um, or use what power he has to do what's necessary, especially for himself. Um, and there was a big moment. I don't want to ruin the issue, but there's a big moment where he has this, like he has a Eureka moment mm -hmm. um, where he's like, the world has all these rules. What happens if I don't play by those rules? And suddenly that taps into like what he, he like he sees how powerful he can be um, and what was kind of boxing him in before. Uh, so it was like that moment that really, and I think one of those lines came from James on like a late read through. We were doing like final edits. He's like, no, we need like a line here that like sums up what's happened. Um, and that line came to us and we were like, this is suddenly every, like the character makes sense. This story makes sense all like encapsulated in this one line. Um, and what his powers, the potential of the character and what his powers can do. Well, I'm on the spectrum myself. There's clearly an intent to express a, a neurodivergent person here in Christopher. You know, comics has been a great forum to kind of explore characters who think differently. So what was the biggest challenge for you developing Christopher in that way? Yeah, what was really interesting is how quickly people picked up on a lot of like um, a lot of those uh, quirks or um, moments that Christopher has. Um, and a cool kind of very affirming moment was I was really just pulling from things that I do or moments like the way that I would react or act in situations when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, so really a lot of those moments came from my own experience and then seeing other people also um, like recognize those moments. It was like, it was really affirming for myself because I didn't expect that. I was like, people might not really get this. It might not connect with them. And seeing how many people immediately connected um, was really cool. Um, so a lot of that is coming from myself. And I know there's um, a big spectrum of what neurodivergence can be. Yeah. Um, so I'm just doing the version of Christopher that I can do. Um, and he's obviously not representative of everyone with neurodivergence. Um, so I'm, it's like something I take very importantly and want to like do carefully. Um, but really most of it is just coming from my own experience. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I got it from page one. I mean, personally, <laughs> personally being a spectrum kid, I was like, Oh, I, I, I get this. I understand this. Yeah. This is great. Cool. I'm getting some representation. So I, I definitely appreciated it. Cool. Um, there's some deep shit here in terms of like human condition analysis. You've got these, this cool monster stuff going on. But this is as much looking at the perception of others, kind of seeing you as a monster or how you see yourself um, potentially as a monster as it is actual physical monsters. You know, I kind of experience this on the daily now as somebody who's, you know, not as only on the spectrum, but somebody with a significant disability that happened later in my life. So, you know, I got the chance to walk around as kind of a normal physical white male for years and, and then I lost it. So. And um, what does it mean to you kind of as a as a as a queer creator to put this character into the world? You didn't we didn't have those a decade ago. Yeah, it's um it's very cool and I sometimes think um I lose sight of how big and important it is um because I I came into comics um well I start I've been reading comics 
Um, like I'm age, I'm showing my age here. But like I started reading comics. I've been reading comics since the 2000s and was really into them 2006 onward. Okay. Um, which is like kind of when they started to put more representation. It wasn't like the best representation, um, but it wasn't like what it was decades prior. And now that I'm like writing and creating comics, I've only been doing that two, three years, um, which is, I feel very privileged that I can, I'm now in an ecosystem that allows these stories to be told. Um, um, like Dark Horse can launch an ongoing with, that's like a very queer neurodivergent character as the lead. Um, So I feel very privileged. um, And I felt this exponentially more when I did Barbarian Red Planet, which was, like a queer aid story done with superheroes. And I was like, Oh man, I can't mess this up. Like I, I couldn't even believe, I couldn't even believe that it existed. Um, and then the pressure of it was kind of, it was a lot, but it kept me motivated, which I think this series does too, because Christopher is the lead and he's the lead um, queer character. And there's, there's a Christopher's life and his character and his version of queerness, his version of neurodivergence, how he sees the world and moves through it. Um, and, but every single character we introduce in this book um, is going to have a different point of view on the world. They, the world treats them differently. Um, they might have been one way um, for most of their life, but now recently are seeing the world in a new way because of whatever's happened to them. So I, my goal has been to like have each of these characters um, to be like a different shading of queerness, a different version of like, um, disability or neurodivergence, um, and doing my best to kind of um, um, doing my best to just show those POVs and um, tell stories that otherwise might not be told, um, especially in terms of queerness, um, which is something very important to me. And with this book, because like I don't think the subtext is like that <laughs> subtext, yeah. but um, um, it's like a really cool opportunity to. Ex- to examine um, queerness through a fantasy horror lens, which I'm I'm really excited to do more with. But it's it's something that has been recurrent on well lots of of my podcast episodes and stuff. Um, when specific, you know, now to, to Pride Month, talking about queer characters and queer queer representation. Where was there? Did you ever have that point in time? I, I love the way you're articulating it, but because you're looking at each character individually and the, the expression of themselves as themselves, as opposed to this overarching, like, Oh my God, I have to represent this entire you know, yeah. spectrum yeah, of yeah. people, you know, in, in one character. And that never seems to work. No, no, no. Um, which like, I, I cannot handle that pressure. So I am just <laughs> like straight up front, like letting everyone know this character, each of these characters will not be representative of whatever it, groups they fall under um it's just their their experience um from because like people are so much more than even these aspects like um in the second issue it's not much of a spoiler but there's someone named dracula boy who enters Mm -hmm. who's a vampire um and uh is a trans male and also comes from like a super supportive immigrant family so it's like there is so much there that is so unique to that one character that we can only talk about like their perspective as their own. Um, so I do my best to kind of encapsulate that character's story and point of view, um, but obviously it cannot be 
representative of everyone's. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really excited and privileged that um, James and Dark Horse and the whole team is so supportive of us um, doing the book this way um, and creating um, all these different characters because I love each one. So I'm really excited for people to meet them. Well, you know, last year I had already said one of my favorite books of the year and in recent memory was, you know, Barbara Alien Red Planet, which I thought was fantastic. I read through it last year as part of my own pride reading and it, it hit really hard. Um, most of my friends are queer and pride this year seems to have been particularly hard um, on, yeah. on the queer community. You know, yeah. we got through Trump, right? But it seems like yeah. there's this backlash that's more pronounced now than I can remember. So as a creative that gets to tell meaningful, lasting stories, you know, in comics, you know, our, and as, you know, a younger queer writer yourself, you know, as, as more, more people get to take the stage uh, and, and enter as, as younger writers, um, are we there yet, you know, in terms of representation? Uh, uh, I, we've obviously come much further um, than even a decade ago, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, even if you just look at, it's cool to look at like the X-Men slate of all the writers and artists they've had on board. And obviously mm -hmm. there's so much further to go, but there's like actual, so many queer people now just like writing the X-Men, which is kind of like how it always should have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah X-Men yeah. is like, um, like I, X-Men is like my favorite thing in the world. Um, and I think so many queer people just see themselves in the X-Men family. Um, so we obviously have much further to go. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know what it looks like when we get there. I just know that it's the reason we're getting such backlash now is because of all the leaps and bounds we were making. And suddenly um, the people who don't like that version of the world are seeing us actually accepted and like celebrated in ways by the general public. And that terrifies them. Um, and that's why they're hitting back so hard and cracking down. Um, so it's just like the fight keeps going. And I think I ended like Barbalian ends um, just saying like the fight will never end. And it's just like the ongoing fight to, for freedom, um, for expression and all of that stuff. Yeah. So we're, we're not there yet and it's very hard right now. And um, so it's just continuing to support um, queer books, queer creators and continuing to like um, support them and push them, put them in the spotlight and like not, um, not like it's, you can be afraid, but have the courage to like keep supporting and helping, um, as you can. I'll get on my soapbox. I always say it every single time, <laughs> which means you have to buy it. You know, yeah. if, if you're going to support queer stories, people need to shell out the money, you know, because, um, yeah. people got to put food on the table and you know, it, it needs to reach more eyeballs. And the way to do that is popularity and sales. Yeah. 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 Well, in your mind, what? What might the next step look like, or, or what what would you what would you like it to look like? I mean, you said, you know, the battle goes on. You know, maybe we'll never get there. You know, what what would the next step look like? Um, I think the next step, um, in terms of like larger society or like comics. No, it's specific to comics, but I mean, like, okay. you know, we, we can be broad. It's fine. <laughs> um in comics honestly just like the support um of publishers especially instead of because i know i've seen like they're every year these great um pride specials come out um by publishers um and you see all these 
queer characters and you, they bring in all these queer creators. Um, and a lot of the times it seems like they're pulled in for like the six page comic and then we never mm -hmm. hear from them again. The characters right. as well as the creators. Um, so I think it's like um, getting that support from publishers because I know there's editorial support. I know there's no shortage of queer talent or queer characters. Um, it's just having publishers put their money where their mouth is um, and continue to support outside of Pride Month um would be the best version for comics and then obviously um having the support from readers as well who show up and want to read stories um even if they're outside of their perspective on the world just because they're good stories um i think a lot of people maybe hear like oh it's a queer comic it's not for me but it's like it's it's a if it's a good story it's for you like you might enjoy it um exactly. and it's just another perspective um, which you see in things like Spider-Verse, where Miles Morales might not be your, your perspective, but it's such a good story that you are going to get something out of that, and you're going to learn something, and you're going to enjoy it so much. Um, so I think just like support all around and get to like a healthier place, I think, in the industry would be amazing. Well, what are you seeing in comics that you love right now or, or is inspiring you? Um, right now... Oh my gosh, I am, I am, I am so out of reading comics monthly right now because I <laughs> am constantly needing to meet my deadlines. Need deadlines, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I love so one of my, I love the work of Nadia Shamas. She's a great um, writer who now lives in Toronto near me. She's um. She's done some work for Marvel and DC recently. Um, she did a book called Squire. Mm -hmm. That is amazing as well. Yep. Um, so all of her work is always inspiring me. Who else? Oh man, I'm really bad on the spot with these things. Oh, that's okay. Um, I think I think I'm like I really think it's the new like there's already a new generation of comics creators that are just constantly blowing everyone away. Like yep. Zoe Thorogood is like the obvious. <laughs> case in point yeah where like i think that is so inspiring because they are so confident already in their voice in what they do every line is like so sure of itself and i'm like that is people take decades of their career to get to that point and you come in with your first second book and you already have <laughs> like you're such confidence in what you're doing and you're so good so i think that's the most inspiring thing um because they're so singular to themselves it's like, okay, take get over all of your BS and just be like singular to yourself and confident and all this stuff. So yeah, I think like this younger generation is inspiring, which is the which is really cool. Yeah, in Zoe's case, it's completely not fair because I think if you throw all your insecurities out there to the world in one book, um, what else is there to lose, right? Like you're, I know yeah. all yeah. these insecurities, but done so confidently. I'm like, this is, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's not fair. Um, yeah. Well, you're a relatively young writer and are working with some of the biggest names in the business already. First, nice and incredible. You know, uh, what is a Tate story? You know, is it something that you can, you know, even define at this point? Yeah, like my origin story in comics. I mean, just that what you mean? sometimes there there's a true north, you know, to people's writing and you can see right. ABC in it, you know, every single time, every single story, right. there may be derivatives on characters, worlds, universes, yeah, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I think I'm kind of always um, writing, like you see this in Barbalian, you see this in Christopher Chaos, is there's people who know deep down what they need to do and they just don't have the confidence or assuredness to like make, like do the thing. Mm-hmm. For Barbalian, he spent an entire mini series of trying to avoid the decisions he needed to make up until it's too late. And then it ends with him finally making the decision that he always needed to make. Um, and it's always like this struggle against your oppressors and like the fight for freedom. Um, for my, my first arc of house of slaughter, um, uh, it was Aaron Slaughter needing to, it was him fighting against himself internally against like love and his, um, what he owed to the the house of slaughter that raised him, um, which is an oppressive system. And in the end he chooses, he chooses love in a way. Um, and that, like, that's finally the choice that he always needs to make. And he finally makes it. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that. It's like, all my troubled angsty teenage self (laughs) struggling against um just um internal and external oppression uh, fight for freedom um and just like a lot of i always try to bring like as much heart um and emotionality um to my writing because i i think i enjoy doing that um and um i i love reading those things and i want more of that especially in like action heavy superhero books um like the punching's cool but like i want to actually talk about um like this like this other important stuff um so i I always make sure my stuff kind of um hits right to the heart hopefully well i don't want to overlook the rest of the the creative team in, in christopher chaos so you know landing on the visuals for for a minute I love the deeper tonal range um, in comics, and I really enjoyed Isaac's line work, which kind of reminded me of Mike Aldred, honestly. Um, cool. Which, which is kind of an interesting aside, as you know, Madman's name is Frank Einstein. Um, yeah. So, so, so there's, there, there are parallels here. So how did how did you and Isaac connect and work on the book? Yeah. So it was actually James that brought Isaac in. Um, they had known each other for a while. Um, They're friends. I, I, because uh, they were both in New York, New Jersey at the same time. Um, and Isaac, I think throughout his career, has always been like sending James his pages just because they had that relationship. And I was like, oh, here's this on this, my new book I'm doing, like, check out my work. Um, and then when this lined up and James needed an artist pretty quickly just to get into Substack, just get the Substack moving, mm-hmm. um, Isaac was like finishing up on a book. Um, and he was actually drawing this while drawing, um, his previous book at the same time, but it was lining up well enough that, that, um, Isaac's like, no, I'll do it. Um, like I want to do it. So he, he joined this. So that was through James and I didn't know Isaac beforehand. Um, but we are now like basically best friends, which is amazing because we (laughs) talk every day. We go through, um, the script and do layouts together on video calls. Whenever either of us has an idea, it's like, or will we'll they just have calls to catch up on each other's lives? So nice. it's like he brought him into my life and now he's a new best friend, which is great. I went to his wedding in the fall. Um, so it's it's very cool. That's um, amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. And the best thing that he the best thing he brought to this book 
was um like he started adding like gags or just like he, he drew things kind of sillier um like eggy the pigeon he started drawing her like i don't know it was just hilarious and i was like okay now that like now we can bring this kind of um silly goofier humor humor into the book so going forward you'll see like there's just more and more gags because he's just he does it so well um and tonally he can like handle the more serious stuff and then have this little short funny gag moment um and then he's incredible at the action so like he can just draw the whole gamut of what we need uh so i re really started to lean into that you'll see issue by issue um and he like we wouldn't have had so many of those nuances a lot of the humor if it wasn't him drawing it so i'm really thankful for that well i love visual landmarks that make books really distinct and the one that like really will jump out to me from issue one are the band-aids right so so what's with the band-aids on on christopher's (laughs) legs that was that was nick robles and like because nick um, did all of the character designs um, for the book, and he did Christopher's look. Um, and Nick is another best friend. I just like end up becoming best friends with all my artists, and it's my favorite thing to do. But Nick, um, we worked so hard on Christopher's look, um, like back and forth, each of us bringing like new ideas. And I, I think the band aids came pretty early, just because Nick. If you see a lot of actually, Nick adds characters and uh, adds bandages and scarring to like a lot of his 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 original characters as well as like pinups okay um like he loves to draw jason todd and jason todd will always have bandages and like scars um so for christopher he was just like yeah like if he's doing all these experiments he must just be getting like cut up or burning himself or whatever so just like started placing band-aids all over him and then we just ran with it and now he's just covered in band-aids um the scar Christopher's like scar under his goggles yeah. um, was another Nick idea that was like pretty early. And we were like, that is so smart. Like now he has like, even when he takes his mask off, he's like still wearing his mask, which is yep. just like so brilliant. Um, so yeah, no, that was all Nick. And we had so much fun uh, working together on the, the character designs. Well, um, what else you got cooking in 2023 that you can talk about, of course. Oh man. Um, more House of Slaughter. I just my my second arc, which is volume three of the series, because me and Sam Johns are alternating. Just wrapped, which was ended with issue fifteen. I'll be back for a third volume, which launches with issue twenty-one. Um, so House of Slaughter will be coming. I don't. I think I don't know when it's launching yet. That will be a later um, announcement. Uh, more Christopher Chaos, which is ongoing for the foreseeable future. Yay. And then there is two things I'm working on that I cannot talk about, but I am very excited for. Well, that that's normal. I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is my random get-to-know-take question. Your bio tells me that you like cooking and are amassing a, quite a collection of cookbooks. I recently yeah. went antique shopping with my mom, who loves to pick up like really old cookbooks, and found this. Yeah gem of an italian salad dressing recipe and one recently it wasn't actually in in the the book itself it was actually a cut out scrap piece of newspaper with recipes for like several different salad dressings on it cool yeah so anyway what's your favorite gem of a recipe from a a, a cookbook that you found oh my goodness um okay the easiest a really quick easy one just for like a quick dessert 
um, in one of my favorite cookbooks, which is called Home Cookery Year by Claire Thompson. Um, she does a dessert where it's a dolce de leche banana crumble. Ooh. And you literally just chop up like four bananas, throw it in your your um, your ceramic whatever to bake it in the oven. Um, just put a can of dolce de leche, stir it up. <laughs> if you have um, if you have hazelnuts, it's worth chopping up hazelnuts, throwing them in, and then yes. you make a simple crumble of like flour, butter, salt, um, and just put it on top and throw it in the oven. It takes like seven, like five, seven minutes to make, and then you just bake it um i like i don't know 425 15 minutes and it's just like so good because it's just dolce de leche and bananas but <laughs> you can't Wait, go wrong but it's exactly really good. <laughs> that's just delicious that sounds amazing yeah <laughs> well my last question is about the hustle being a creative is hella hard so i'm looking for one piece of advice for the aspiring comics creator someone thinking about a career in the field and I ask people to try to be positive, which I, I know is hard. Yeah. Um, don't shy away from realness, but we don't want to crush people here and and no get a sugar daddy because I've heard that before. So what do you got for? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Um, yeah, the struggle is very real. I am still struggling and I'm learning literally every day <laughs> how to survive the struggle. Um, but what I'm learning more and more is like you really need a structure and keeping yourself accountable to that structure. Like I know people say write every day and like, I don't think you, like if you can't write every day, that is fine. But I think you need to figure out what is right for you. Put that structure and that schedule on your life and like stick to it. Even if it's like a word count or a page count every week. Um, or if like each day you're like, I'm going to work from this hour to this hour nonstop on comics or writing or whatever. That is very important. Um, and a reality, something that I'm struggling with and really trying to get better at is like a balance of work and life, which I think mm -hmm. everyone is always trying to work on. Yeah. Um, but I, and I, but I'm also like a yes man who was like, come to dinner. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, it's like, guys, that is my, that is what I'm always working on. And I think something I need to be better at. So I need to take my own advice is just like, sometimes like you can't make that dinner if you like want a career like this and it's like keeping yourself accountable. And once you get the thing done, it's like, okay, now I can go do these things. Um, Cause if you want something like the, it's hard to get into the industry, the industry is tough. And it's like, if you want to make it, um, and just have work that you can be proud of and not let editors down or partners down. Um, you just need to be your own boss and like keep yourself accountable and get the work done. Which is not always easy, but yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tate, thanks for so much for coming on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And thanks for, I love that you guys are doing this pride series, which is very cool. So thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really wanted to do it last year and just simply ran out of time. And we were, I didn't know if I was going to pull it off this year. Uh, we were in the, the midst of moving and everything and, right. and we got it done. I'm so excited. It's, it's so nice. Yeah. And we have, I don't know if you saw too. Um, okay, I'm pitching our stuff now, but we have um, a collab that we're doing. Like it's a comic book Yeti Pride collab. So Fellhound, which is a fellow Canadian there. I love Fellhound. Yeah. yeah. So she put together the design for us and we really wanted to to focus on the trans community. So all of the profits, every single penny um, from any of the sale of the shirts is, is going to Kaleidoscope in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, um, and they work with, with queer teens and they support questioning youth and 
it's amazing. So yeah, that that's my pitch yeah. on that. Um, no, that's awesome. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been so much fun. Well, folks, when this episode drops, Christopher Chaos will be out on shelves. Don't sleep on what looks to be a really exciting new ongoing series. And man, some of these covers are, are just gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Jimenez cover for issue two is crazy. Um, yeah. And yeah, Isaac's yeah. got that really cool green throwback 60s monster movie homage that, that's just yeah. killer. Um, you get to work with such talented people. I'm so jealous. It blows my mind. Like Phil is doing um, a cover for each of our first six issues. And I'm like, how, what, in what world <laughs> am I so privileged to have Phil Jimenez doing the covers for my book? So I got, it's very surreal. Yeah. Well, make sure to, to go grab them all, everybody. And yeah. wasn't there, there was some, I thought I saw some about foil or was that, was that a Substack yeah. or there's, um, I think the Nick Robles covers, one of the Nick Robles covers is foil. And then the David Talaski cover is glow in the dark. So when in the dark, like the lightning from Christopher and Peggy, the pigeon is glow in the dark, which is the coolest thing. So wow. that's the one Fancy. I'm most excited to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to check it out. Well, yeah. this is Byron O'Neill, and on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg but their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.